But one of the things I want to kind of help catch us up with on the story <coughs> is that we started in the beginning. We started in Genesis, and we started in the, in the whole creation account and the fall of man, the sin that, you know, because it was Eve's fault totally, right? She's the one that ate the fruit. No, okay. So the lady's like, excuse me? Um, it, so Adam and Eve sinned. They fell. Here comes the fall of, uh, of, of man. And then, uh, man, it, it just got more and more jacked up. God said, you know what? We're going to have to wipe everything out. Started with Noah. There was a flood. And, and, then, and then, uh, then there was a guy named Abraham who was really not even brought up as a believer in God. But God showed favor. He knew his heart. And he said, hey, out of you, I'm going to make a, a great nation. And Abraham had, a, had a, a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob. Who uh, Through Jacob, there were 12 sons that he had. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of, of Israel. One of those sons <coughs> was a guy named Joseph, and he had this amazing Technicolor dream coat. Right? That's in the Bible. Oh, okay. So Joseph was one of the sons. He was, he was at that point in, in his life when he got uh, put into, sold into slavery by his brothers. He actually went into, into Egypt, um, became very prominent in the Egyptian hierarchy and government, and there was a big famine in the land, and his brothers came to Egypt looking for food. He actually restored his brothers. The Israelites grew in number in Egypt, all 12 tribes. And then, then they started getting kind of messed up and jacked up a little bit. And then God said, hey, Moses, uh, going to bring you out, bring you the people out of Egypt. So we talked about Exodus and bringing all of, the, the, the God, all of God's people out of Egypt. Egypt into the promised land and then you in it, after that time they kind of got messed up and they had some had Joe had God appointed judges to help rescue the folks and still continue to be I don't know just this continued sin there's this pattern of of sin repentance and repeat that you'll see in the Israelites writing or the, the writings about the Israelites in the Bible you'll see that a lot and so we talked a little bit about a lady in, during the time of Judges named, named Ruth, who, if you recall, man, was just hurt between her. She married a guy named Boaz, and Boaz's mom was, a, was, a, was, a, was a, actually a prostitute who, who, who was used by God to save the Israelites. She was, it was just, just crazy. And then uh, Ruth's mom, right, Ruth's, Ruth's, Ruth's lineage was Moabite, which, was, which is just a crazy thing. And then God uses that lineage to eventually make make Jesus, and we talked about that, and we talked about the fact that there, were, there was a, a desire for the Israelites to have a king rather than to have judges, and, and, and that really hurt the, hurt the heart of God, but he gave them what they wanted, and so there was a guy named Saul who was like the, the prettiest guy in all of the land, right? He was, he was just awesome, man, great, great face for TV, <coughs> and so he was appointed as king of the Israelites, and at first he was kind of a humble guy, and at first he was kind of a Kind of a you know a, a good king, but then he started thinking, you know what? I'm king. I'm going to make a monument to myself, and I'm going to do different things. And and then God got upset about that and said, I'm going to appoint David to succeed you. So he got kind of mad, started wanting to kill this young guy named David. Well, eventually David did take over as king, and King David, if you recall, a couple of weeks back, was a man after God's own heart, except in the case of a. Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba and all that junk that went down with those guys. And eventually, David had a son named Solomon. And Solomon was the, was the most, I mean, the most favored, the most wealthy, the most wise, the most, I mean, that was a, that was a bad dude, man. 
And even Solomon, I mean, as wealthy as he was, as prominent as, as wise as he was, eventually fell out of favor with God because he started worshiping other gods. He had all these wives. It's always women's fault, right, fellas? No. <clears throat> but, they, but, they, but they were like, they were like, worship this God, worship this God, worship this God. Eventually, he just relented to fine. And because of that, God said, Solomon, I'm going to take this kingdom away from you. Not from you, but I'm going to do it in your sons. And he, has, he had a son named Rehoboam. He had another son, or, not, or another person named Jeroboam, who was kind of the, they, were, they, they, they basically split the kingdom, and they became the leaders of the two parts of the, of, of the, of the land, if you will. And last week, we talked about that, and then we were introduced to a guy named Asa, who, was, who, was a, who, who turned things around as a king, but then... There was a guy named Ahab who married a crazy lady named Jezebel. And this week we're going to talk about the prophets that were in that time where Ahab and Je- Jezebel are, are reigning. And so the prophets were, it, it's pretty amazing to me. Because God is such a patient God. How many people have heard people say things like, God of the Old Testament is just, man, it's just jacked up. He's messed up and he kills people. He, tells people to murder people, just destroys even kids and that kind of thing. I mean, we hear that a lot. But God sends the prophets to this split kingdom to warn them. I want to give you guys on your app that you downloaded on your phones last week. You actually get a a chance to go through this on your, there's an app there that says Edgerton Notes. You can start filling in some of these things, some of these blanks and stuff. And what will happen is... uh, you can, at the end of it, you can actually email yourself your, your own notes and you'll, you'll have your own if you want to so keep those things. <clears throat> but God sends these prophets to the split kingdoms to, to warn them. And he does this over a period of five, listen to this, 500 years. I mean, some of us are like, how, how, how old are we as a country? 200, I mean, we officially 240 years, something like that. And here's God, somebody, somebody's going to correct me, but I think it's about right. But it, oh, next year is our 240th anniversary, I believe. But we are not even half, half that old. And for 500 years, God sends messenger after messenger after messenger. And he says, if you will repent, if you will come back to me, I will restore you. I mean, God's patient with these guys. And they're just, they're just falling down and falling down and falling down more and more and more. I mean, how many of us, man, have seen parents do this? Johnny, stop that. Johnny, stop that. Johnny, one Two, right? 479, right? I mean, even the anti-spanking crowds, would you whip that kid already, right? I mean, God's patient, really, really, really patient with his people. One of the prophets that are outlined in the story, chapter 15, is Amos. And in Amos 8, 11 through 12, he says this. He says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine hearing, a famine of hearing the words of who? The Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Interestingly enough, after prior to Jesus coming, uh, God had not sent a prophet for over 400 years. It's crazy, man. So he knows the future, right? Amos 9 even warns of the coming destruction of Israel as well as the the restoration of Israel. I mean, here's God who loves his people so much that he's willing to say, look, if you come back to me, man, you're restored. 
but I'm, if you don't, I'm going to destroy you, but I'm going to have to restore. I'm, I'm going to destroy you, but it still will restore. I mean, it's crazy stuff. God does not need to ha- or have to do any of that, but he loves us that much. Hosea 9, 7, who's another uh, prophet that's written about in the story, chapter 15, says, the days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool, the inspired person, a maniac. Anybody ever felt like that as a Christian? Man, everybody thinks I'm just jacked up. Man, but I know the truth. Here's God. I mean, God is God. He's the creator of heaven and the earth, the alpha, the omega, the king of kings, the one that every knee will bow. And, and they, they're looking at me like I'm crazy, right? Hosea 5, 4 through 5 also says, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, a spirit of prostitution is in their heart they do not acknowledge the lord israel's arrogance testifies against them the israelites even ephraim stumble in their sin judah also stumbles with them but here's the thing because <coughs> people look at the old testament and they'll say man that's that, that god is sending his prophets and he's not condemning people man he's like messing people up he's like wow this is this is just crazy stuff um and so I'm looking at the scriptures and I, and I realize that the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the, of the New Testament. 2 Peter 3, 8, the second part of 8 through 13. In this, and, and Peter is a guy who walked with Jesus. Peter was a, a New Testament first century church guy and he's warning the Christians and it's what he says. He says, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is what? Patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Sounds like the same God of the Old Testament who waited like 500 years for the, this stuff to happen that he's been saying is going to happen. Verse 10, but, everybody say but. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth will and everything done in it will be laid bare. Ooh, that's not like Old Testament prophecy, right? I mean, that's like, that's New Testament right there. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and, its, and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking what? Forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Guys, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That's one of the reasons why we're called new city. It's all going to be made new. We're looking for the new Jerusalem, looking for all that. Amen? That's why we are here. That's what the, what the thing is. It's like we are looking forward to that. Elijah is one of the prophets <coughs> that I'm going to be really emphasizing today. We talked about Amos, Hosea, and Elijah in the, in this, in the story of the chapter. Can somebody turn the heat off? My, my voice, it is hot. I don't know if you guys are hot. Maybe somebody flipped them fans on too or something like that. It is warm. Thank you, guys. But my throat is drying out bad. We can even open up a window or something if anybody wants to. Anybody want to open up windows? I'm cool with that, too. Let's freeze it out. Freeze up. Let's play it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. 
But Elijah is one of the guys that I am really, man, this is one bad mamma jamma right here, man. Elijah is cool as all outdoors. Because, in a matter of fact, one of the things that, that God loves Elijah so much that Elijah is one of the few people in the Bible that never has to actually taste death. Even Jesus tasted death. You understand? He overcame it. But even Jesus died. Elijah didn't even die. Elijah was brought up in, in this by, by, by God's chariots. I mean, it's wild stuff. But in 1 Kings 17, let me set the scene a little bit because he comes on. Oh, thank you, dude. Oh, oh. I'm looking for the water that will never thirst. You got any of that? Amen. Rock and roll. <coughs> thank you, guys. All right. We're going to get through this, I swear. 1 Kings 17, Elijah comes onto the scene, announces a drought right off the bat to the king Ahab and his crazy wife Jezebel. Ahab was crazy too, don't get me wrong. So he comes on the scene and says, hey guys, there's going to be a drought for a long time until I say so. Peace, right? So he's already a, an enemy of the state. 1 Kings 18, King Ahab sends out one of his men after the period of time that this drought is, I think about three years or so, he sends out one of his men named Obadiah. Obadiah is a godly guy who actually protects prophets. Somebody flip these fans on, would you? We're going to get this place cooled off. Right over there. Thank you. It's like old school, old school Baptist here, boy. I guess, all right, thank you. Cool, thank you, guys. <coughs> we ready? We good? Okay, sorry. I see so many people fanning and stuff, and I'm sorry. I'm still burning up, so. All right, so 1 Kings 18, King Ahab sends out one of his men, a godly guy named Obadiah. And he says, go find some grass and some water so we don't have to slaughter all the animals that we have because there's such a drought and there's no way. Well, Obadiah is a guy that has protected prophets, actually hidden a bunch of them in a cave, feeds them, gives them plenty to, plenty to drink. And, and so because Jezebel, Ahab's wife, is trying to kill all the prophets of God. So Obadiah is a godly guy. He happens to meet Elijah who Ahab has been trying to find Elijah for all this time because he's like, I'm going to kill, I want to kill this guy, right? I can't believe he put this to, like he, like, as if it was Elijah's fault. This is what God said a lot for Elijah to tell him. So Ahab's looking for Elijah. Obadiah meets Elijah. Elijah says, hey, have your king come meet me. And Obadiah's like, dude, if you don't show up, I swear, man, he's going to kill me. So, you know, Elijah assures him he's going to show up. And so Obadiah meets, or, or Ahab sees Elijah when they, uh, Obadiah goes and says, hey, Ahab, go meet Elijah. Ahab sees Elijah, and he says, oh, there's the troublemaker. And Elijah's like, I ain't the troublemaker, dog, that's you. And so that's kind of what, kind of how that all happens. And Bri Elijah brings a challenge to Ahab, the crazy king married to Jezebel. And in 1 Kings 18, Elijah challenges the king to bring 450 prophets of Baal. The, 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 the false god and all the prophets of Asherah and to meet him at Mount Carmel. This is like a WWE Smackdown challenge. Like, meet me on Mount Carmel, brother, right? I love this, man. This is like, you meet me, man. It's like after school, man, it's on, right? He goes, but bring them all. Life is a tough dude. In 1 Kings 18, 22 to 29, in the story, page 204 to 205, it says, this, starting in verse 22, then Elijah <coughs> said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. 
Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you call on the name of your God. Notice that's a little G, right? Call on the name of your what? God, little G. And I will call on the name of the Lord, capital L. The God who answers by fire, he is capital G, God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Challenge accepted, right? Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. So he let them have whichever, whichever one you want, right? You, you pick it. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your little G God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Now this is several hours in the morning. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. That would probably look like a sight, man. At noon, listen to this. I dig this dude. Elijah began to taunt them. <laughs> this is awesome. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. This original language in Hebrew is also meaning maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's relieving himself. Is that not awesome? Hey, you prophets of Baal, maybe the, your God had a bad burrito and he's going to be indisposed for a few minutes, right? This is awesome. I love this guy. He goes, yeah, wait for him to come out, but you might want to bring some air freshener or something like that with you, right? Love this. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as, the, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed. Kept on going all day long. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the, until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. So from morning till evening, they cut themselves. They shouted. Here's Elijah. Oh, I'm sure he's maybe he's on the toilet, y'all. He'll come eventually, man. Just give him some time. Elijah grabbed some water from those guys. He finally figured, like, all right, my turn. He soaks both their altar and his altar. Remember, this is a drought, middle of a drought. He soaks both the altars. I'm sure people are going, what is going on? And God burns, he calls on, he goes, okay, God, if you're real, God burns up their altar and his altar. Elijah then has all the false prophets killed. See all those bleeding guys up there? Might as well kill them. Elijah announces a coming rain. I mean, all this victory, all this stuff, he sh God shows up. God is victorious, and, all, and, he, and then he says, okay, there's going to be rain coming. And you would think that after this great victory and after this great announcement, that all of a sudden Elijah would be the hero in Israel. That ain't happening, because Jezebel is crazy. And she says, I'm going to kill that guy. The one that showed God is real, the one that sh announced the coming rain, I'm going to kill that guy. She puts a hit out on Elijah, and Elijah flees in fear now i am not trying to make a, a judgment but i'm thinking this dude just went against 450 uh bail prophets god showed up god did his thing and then all of a sudden he hears somebody's wanting to kill him he goes oh no really 
Does that make sense to anybody else? I mean, I, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to judge, dude. He might have just been tired. I don't know, but I'm like, like, dude, you just saw God consume the, 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 both the bulls. He showed up. All the Baal prophets are like gone. Basically, your enemies, and you got the crazy queen that said, I'm going to kill that guy, and you run? Man, he runs not only, he runs for 40 days, man. For 40 days, Elijah's on the run, and he comes to Mount Horeb, which is also the mountain of God, which is Mount Sinai, which is the same mountain that Moses got the Ten Commandments on. You start seeing all this stuff being connected. For 40 days, he, and he winds up in a cave. And in 1 Kings 19, the second part of verse 9, says this, And the word of the Lord came to him. <coughs> what are you doing here, Elijah? You ever been asked that question by God? You know it was from God. What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here, right? I've got some place for you. Why are you running? I've gotten that question. What are you doing here? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, <laughs> and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and, and stand on the mountain by the, in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Listen to this. This is so cool. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Can you imagine? You'd be like, what? That's awesome. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. She's got this wind tearing up the mountains. You got an earthquake going, right? Like, Whoa. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. I'm thinking earth, wind, and fire. I'm reminding of the disco days, right? This is cool. Shall I stop? Oh, sorry. No matter who you are. Oh, sorry. That's your fault, Pete. <coughs> I tried to get Pete to sing earth, wind, and fire. He said, I can't do it. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> Whatever. When Elijah heard it, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. Earthquake, fire, boom, whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, a lot of us are looking for like signs and wonders. I'm going to follow God if you heal this person. I'm going to follow God if you move that mountain from over here like you said you would in your word. I'm going to follow God if I actually see him face to face. I'm going to follow God if, I, if, the, if this, this personal situation I'm in gets healed. I'm going to follow God if I don't go to jail. I'm going to follow God if this. I'm going to follow God if that. I'm going to follow God if he shows up and does this supernatural, miraculous thing. I'm going to follow him if he does that. And we're looking for signs and wonders, but God may choose to speak to us quietly. My encouragement this morning, man, is to don't miss God's voice because you're looking for God's boom. 
I'm looking for the big time. I'm looking for the wow. And here's the challenge, man, I want you to take with this this morning. I want you to have an intentional quiet time daily to seek his voice when there's nobody else around, when there's when it's just you and God. Guys, this is a scary, scary thing for a lot of us. A lot of us have never done this in our entire life. Absolutely crazy to think, what? I got to do what? Here's what a quiet time looks like for me because I can't tell you what it's going to look like for you. <coughs> Excuse me. But for me, you guys know I get up really, really early in the morning because I have to and that kind of thing to prepare all week for the, for the messages. Some people are like, really? No. Um, I prepare, I start, you know, between 4 and 4.30 um, every morning. And I get up, and my, my first thing is grab a cup of coffee, and I sit down with the, with the Bible. And for me, what I start doing is I work, go from Genesis to Revelation, one chapter a day. I've been doing that for years and years. And God tells me stuff. I mean, was I'm sometimes I'll pray first and then get into the Word. Sometimes I'll look at the Word, then start praying based on what His Word says. Sometimes I'll pray, look at the Word, and pray again. I mean, crazy, just whatever God says. And there's sometimes God doesn't say a thing. Can God trust you with His silence, by the way? Can He trust you? If He's silent? That's a big, that's a big thing to ask. Like, well, God, I need to hear from you. No, no. You don't need anything. You've got what you need. God is still has you alive, right? You've made it this far. For for us, I, you know, it's it's hard to hard to say. But my other thing, I read a devotional called uh, "My Utmost for His Highest" by Oswald Chambers. Awesome, awesome devotional. Throughout the day, I'll be praying. Um, but I have an intentional time where God's, you know, I just like to listen. I do my very best. And sometimes, man, it's like, I don't know if you ever felt this, but, but, but you'll, you'll be trying to listen to God and all this stuff just starts coming into your mind, right? Hey, take a pad and a piece of paper or something. If, boom, I got to get that, write it down, forget it, and have God with you. And some people are like, oh, you don't need to distract yourself. Trust me. Write something down. If God, something comes to mind, write it down task that maybe God's telling you, hey, get that done. I don't know. Write down what it comes. Start journaling. Whatever. It's going to look totally different from different people. But this is how I do it. And I do it daily, guys. I, 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 I can count on my hand. I'm not bragging or anything like that. I mean, I can count on my hand how many times I've missed in the last year. And I've missed. Whenever I do, I catch back up the next day. I got to, man. I just... I just to me, the Word of God is more important than food. Because it, it, it's His Word. Amen? Let me stop here. Elijah, he replied, after being asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? And very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. I'm sure God looked at him like, yeah, that's what you said a second ago before the earth winded. 
fire. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat. From Abel, Meholah. Doing all right. To succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Listen to this. Verse 18. Because Elijah said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one I'm it. God, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal or whose mouths have not kissed him. See, when we think we're the only ones left, we're wrong. We saw some of that in Oregon this week, didn't we? We're trying to <coughs> pull at tug string, you know, t- pull at your heartstrings or anything like that. But man, I love the fact that people stood up and said, "Yeah, I'm a believer." And lost their lives anyway. I hate that they lost their lives. But the demonic is real. We know this. And the war is real. And I hear all kinds of people saying, man, we need to arm people or we need to disarm people. Or we need to make this law and make this difference. And we need to elect the right people that could take care of this stuff. And you hear our president go this and say this. And I can't believe this is happening. And all these, all these people are getting shot. And, all these, and we compare ourselves to this country and that country. And I don't hear anybody saying we need to arm people with the truth of God. What if hearts changed? What if hearts turned to God? The way God has been begging through his prophets here. What would happen in our country if that happened? God's plan does prevail. God is waiting patiently for us to do his work and he will use us or someone else to do it. I pray, I, man, I pray that it is us. The New City Church is used by God to do His plan. Amen? We're about to do something that's going to be really weird for a lot of you. It's going to be the strangest three minutes of your life up to this point. We're not going to do anything. You got the chickens ready? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to slaughter them right here. <coughs> I challenge us to have a quiet time. We're going to play this beautiful music from these incredibly talented musicians for a few minutes, and then that music is going to stop. And I want us to sit in the Lord and see if we start doing this daily. Quiet, listening for His voice. We'll get more and more used to hearing him. Amen. Let's do that now.